What's up, Energy Fam? This is Justin, and welcome back to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. My goal with each episode is to deconstruct the minds of today's energy thought leaders to uncover their framework and tools used in their journeys of providing energy to the world. So sit back, relax, and remember that everything you see around you requires some form of energy. Awesome. We'll go ahead and get started. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm here in Zoomland with my friend Kim Ali, owner of Kim Ali Consulting and host of the new DE&I podcast for the Oil and Gas Global Network, also known as OGGN. Kim, thanks for coming back on the show. Uh, this is round two for the listeners, um, unless you've been listening from like the eighth episode. Uh, Kim came on last year in August. And I decided to have her back on the show. So, Kim, how in the world are you and what have you been up to lately? <laughs> I'm well. Uh, things are going really, really great. And thank you for having me back for a second yeah. episode. Absolutely. No, I'm excited to have you back. And again, you know, a lot of times and you'll get into this is when you sort of develop a relationship with someone for like 45 minutes over a podcast, you're like, oh, we're buddies. We're going to talk a lot. and We're going to keep in touch. But the reality is it's like you just don't have like mathematically, it's hard to keep in touch with all your guests, um, but you keep up with them online, right? Social media, you know, LinkedIn, especially. And then I, when I saw you join OGGN uh, and on one of their podcasts, I was like, well, I'm going to have Kim back so she can share us on all the cool, exciting stuff, which we'll get into. Um, but uh, I have to ask you, did you do Murph this weekend? Because I know no. you're, a, you're a CrossFitter or a former <laughs> CrossFitter now. No, I did not do Murph, what? and I'm pretty sad about it because I did it for three consecutive years in a row. Yeah. But um, due to some injuries, I think I shared this with you before. But I'm now did, doing yeah. Orange Theory. Oh, <laughs> nice. Um, but no, maybe next year I will. Did you do it? I, I did. I did. I did a like I did a modified version of it. I did it in my garage, to be honest with you. Um. So yeah, I did. I did a version of it. Um. Actually, no. Yeah. I mean, I did the full thing. I don't. I. I did the like the 5, 10, 15. I didn't do oh, it all. Oh, is it like, Cindy? Cindy 20 times? Yeah. I think that's what it is. Yeah. 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 And and so I mean, I didn't do it as prescribed, but I completed all the reps, if that makes sense. So um, but and for the listeners out there, I'm sure you're laughing, like, oh, CrossFit, blah, blah. But it's <laughs> it's for a good intent. And it's called it's a workout, it's a benchmark workout in CrossFit. And it's dedicated to a gentleman who I think I don't know the details and which is sad to say, but do you know the details by any chance on like who this um, gentleman was and a little bit. Um, I believe his Murph was his favorite uh, CrossFit wad and okay. um, he transitioned over in Afghanistan. He was serving in the war mm, and um, yeah. unfortunately he transitioned there. So in honor of his memory, uh, we do right. Murph the uh, memorial day weekend i believe that's the story correct that's, me if I'm wrong. i know that 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 rings a bell and I, and and you you obviously described it a lot better than i did but uh but anyway so yeah i try and do it every year actually i was in oklahoma city yesterday no what day is it thursday tuesday and uh one of my clients who used to do crossfit stopped he does more marathon running and stuff like that but he felt like he still had it in him so he went and did Murph and I saw him and he literally was walking around like T-Rex like he got rhabdo in his <laughs> biceps he said so he couldn't straighten his arms and so he was walking around like basically like this oh, the whole no. time yeah and like no joke he could not extend his arms because of all of the reps with the pull-ups pull yeah. and yeah so it's uh yeah it can get you um but 
he was in Florida partying for like three days before that. So I was like, you were probably a little dehydrated going into it, which doesn't yes. help at all. Yes. Cause it's like a 45 <laughs> minute to an hour workout. Uh, yeah. just nonstop. So anyway, um, enough about that. So how, tell me about orange theory. Like do you, are you loving it or what? Well, so here's the thing. I actually prefer CrossFit, but you know, COVID-15, I gained 15 pounds during the pandemic. God, and- okay. I was like 15, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what I call it, COVID. Yeah, a lot um, more for a lot of people, though. It's all right, good. Right, exactly. Um, and so, you know, cro- CrossFit wads tend to be short most of the time, and there's more of a weightlifting component. Yeah. So I wanted to burn more um, fat. And so Orange Theory focuses more on cardio. And so I've been going, I believe, for about six months now and lost 15 pounds. Congrats. I hit my goal weight. Yeah, thank you. Wow. No, that's huge. And so are you eating any different or were you just, you just need to be more active? Um, I, I've changed my diet because, you know, 80% of um, body transformation is diet. So I've changed my diet a little bit. I still have major cheat days, but <laughs> I think it's just, you know, incorporating more uh, cardio and lifting lighter weights, yeah. but with more repetition is what's, uh, is what is helping burn the fat. That's cool. Nice. Congrats. That's huge. I mean, it's, especially as we, we get older and we, the more we work, unless we're outside doing manual labor, we're more doing what we're doing, sitting here, essentially not really moving. And so, yeah, it's so important to be able to do stuff like that. Are you like six, seven days a week? Or, I mean, is it just kind of like, how does that, no, what does that look like? Just uh, three days a week. Nice. See folks, that's all it takes. Three days a week, a little <laughs> good of bit eating and you're good. 15 pounds, easy. Uh, yeah. Kim's here to tell you so but no that's good and, and now we're moving into summer any big summer plans oh yes I would love to uh travel maybe to Europe somewhere okay yeah nice that'd be yeah. where in Europe oh gosh Portugal yeah that's one of the countries I okay. have not been to and it's on my bucket list really so we're like it's basically summer and you're just now thinking about maybe scheduling a trip to Portugal <laughs> like are you a last minute travel planner or what I I am I am and as you know being an entrepreneur uh sometimes our personal lives take a back seat because we're so focused on the business but yeah. I've made a commitment that I have to travel for pleasure this year up until now it's just business trips yeah no I I get you that that's cool I've never been to Portugal we went a few years back to London Paris and Rome and it, it was so cool and I mean that was like 2018 I think 2017 maybe and of course when we were there we thought we're gonna do this every year like we have this is so awesome we love it we were able to disconnect from you know crazy life back here and connect you know as a husband and wife and just enjoy the world we haven't been back since so uh but anyway I hope you get to make it to Portugal thank you and you need to take time for yourself because I'm sure you're grinding sun up to sundown pretty much every day (laughs) (laughs) nice and part of your grind is podcasting now you've this will be released kind of probably end of June beginning in July which at that time you will have released at least a couple episodes I think tell us about the new podcast and and then we'll go from there Yeah, so I'm super excited. Uh, We're recording this the first week of June. So the podcast dropped yesterday, May 31st. And yeah, so it's D-E-N-I and energy. 
Um, for those listening, DNI stands for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion, and it's the first DNI podcast in the whole energy industry. And what I love about it is that even though it falls under OGGN, which is the Oil and Gas Global Network, um, we don't want to discriminate. So we will be interviewing leaders from um, all uh, energy sectors. So oil and gas, uh, renewable energy, uh, electric vehicles, utilities, right? Beautiful. So yeah. Yeah, leaders will come on and they'll share their successes, challenges, and lessons learned about DEI within their organization. Nice. No, that's that's huge. And to be honest, like it's it's kind of not gonna say odd, but I'm surprised that there hasn't been one sooner than that. And uh, and not to say like, yeah. oh, like why did you wait so long? Like again, everyone's busy and it's just not necessarily like a, a focal point all the time. But it's uh, it's cool that there's still opportunity to come into that space and talk about these things because they're so important myself being in oil and gas over the years, I've noticed it's just become from my observation and experience a lot more inclusive. I mean, the company I work for, um, it's it, again, like we hire from so many different walks of life and it's just, it's so cool to see because it's, it generates such good culture, conversation, discussion, um, you know, chat, like challenging each other because they like yeah. folks, depending on, you know, whether it was where they worked or where they're from or their where their background or wherever they, the case may be, it just brings such a healthy perspective. If you have so many different angles coming together yes. that aligns with the North star of like being a successful business. So I think it's super cool. Um, what, like what, what made you, because obviously you were busy before that. Um, and I encourage for the listeners to, to if you want to hear Kim's story, she's got an amazing story. Um, go back, listen to that episode. And, and because it, I think it really sets the framework for what you're doing now, because you never had like an oil and gas background and you're, you're, you live in the Northeast, right? Like in Washington or something, Baltimore, maybe? Uh, close. Yeah. It's right outside of Washington, uh, DC. But if you right. remember from the first episode, I lived in the Middle East for five years and, right. you know, they are the largest producer of petroleum. And so that was my exposure to the oil and gas industry because I had friends that worked uh, in the industry. That's right. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were there as a nurse, correct? A nurse consultant. Yeah, nurse I went over okay. there to open the country's first women and children's hospital, but from a health equity lens. Yes, 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 yes. No, again, it's it's a fascinating story. And, and I, I I should have done my part and listened to it before coming back on the show with you, but I didn't. Listeners, go back, listen to it. It's a beautiful story. Um, and again, it like really sets up to where you are now. And so fast forwarding to or I mean coming back to the, my original question is like you were already you already had a successful consulting company, you were already making huge strides in the DEI space why then add more to your plate to then start a podcast? Like, it just seems, I mean, it seems obvious, but it's like just a ton more work. Uh, uh, you know, uh, that's the first question everyone asks is, how did you go from healthcare to energy? Um, well, like I just said, my exposure to the oil and gas space was living when I lived overseas. Um, my mission was to open up a hospital preserving the Arabic culture and Islamic religion. So we were doing amazing work in this healthcare facility. But while I was there, one of my girlfriends worked in oil and gas and she actually worked on the rigs. And the stories that she would share with me um, were interesting to say the least. 
And so back then I said, wow, if I ever have the opportunity to, you know, work in energy, you know, there's definitely opportunity for improvement. So fast forward, what is it, six years later, I'm on LinkedIn. <laughs> and everyone listening, if you're not on LinkedIn, hop on LinkedIn. There are tons of opportunities waiting for you. Mm -hmm. But I was on LinkedIn and I connected with a gentleman named Mark LaCour. He is the owner and founder of the Oil and Gas Global Network. And we connected and we started talking and he saw that I was in the DEI space. And that's when he told me, hey, look, listen, I've been getting a lot of requests from listeners over the last two years to start a DEI podcast. Would you be interested? Mm. So of course I said yes. <laughs> right. And so this was probably about one year ago when this happened, around the same time you and I connected. Right. Okay. And um I started doing my research because even though I was exposed, I had some, you know, familiarity with the industry, I didn't know a lot about it. So from that year up until now, I've been researching. I've been hosting executive roundtables with industry leaders. Uh, nice. One, just to learn their unique challenges and what you know their goals are within the industry. And two, to increase my visibility within the industry. Um, I wanted people to be familiar with me when the podcast launched. So that way it's not, well, who is this person? You know, she just popped out of nowhere. Yeah, And um, it worked because like I said, the podcast launched this week and I already have about, I'm looking at my list now, I have about 18 people who have already raised their hand to come on and be what? a guest just because of those relationships I've built over the last year. This episode of our podcast is sponsored by 10X Technologies. Pushing the boundaries of science, 10X is innovating the future of the oil and gas industry with their proprietary materials-based technology solutions. With cutting-edge products like NanoClear, custom-designed nanofluids engineered to maximize production of new completions and rejuvenate existing wells, 10X is driving a revolution in oil extraction. Meet Microhold, a specially engineered microparticle slurry that optimizes frac efficiency, props microfracs, and triggers far-field diversion. Every well, every time, sees the benefits. And if you're worried about frac hits, 10X has you covered with NoHit, an innovative technology that mitigates frac hits via in-situ pressurization reaction. It's protection where you need it most. Then there's Sandbond, a sand consolidation chemical solution that's just another example of 10X's commitment to practical field-ready solutions. And let's not forget about Seraflow, greener, cost-effective proprietary blends designed to banish paraffin issues once and for all. That's 10X, where innovation meets application in the oil and gas industry. Find out more about their groundbreaking solutions at 10xtechnologies.com. Now, let's get back to the show. Wow. So you're already, I mean, you, you're already off to a great start. Like, and, and that's, and I think, again, you bring up a good point with getting on LinkedIn and building a bit of a presence and reputation before starting a podcast. Because I think that gives you a little leverage to get going and gives you a level of credibility to then hopefully accelerate the growth. Um, and, and so what, like, what is the mission behind the podcast specifically? Yeah. So that's a great question. The mission behind the podcast is education and awareness. Mm -hmm. As you know, there's a lot of talk about 
um, energy transition or integration, whatever you want to call it, right? <laughs> I don't want to right. upset people uh, listening, but <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what that will look like in the future. But we do know that in order to meet this goal, we need to start diversifying our workforce. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of misconceptions about DEI and what it is. There's a lot of fear behind it. Um, there's a lot of resistance behind it. And mm -hmm. so the podcast goal is to educate listeners so that way they understand why DEI is a good thing and how it will benefit their business, especially from a revenue perspective. Wow. Can you share any cases or examples of how it does? Because I, I know there is, and I'd love yeah. to hear about at least one at least. Absolutely. So I can share um, my personal uh, case study. So while I was overseas, again, it's not energy sector, but same principles can be implemented in any industry, right? Mm -hmm. So while we were at the facility, remember I mentioned the objective was to have a Western healthcare model while preserving the Arabic um, culture and Islamic religion. Mm -hmm. And so originally we missed the mark, right? We didn't do a great job. We bought in male physicians that didn't speak Arabic. Um, we created patient educational material that was in English, right? Some mm. of our clients only spoke Arabic. Yeah. And we just, we didn't acknowledge the needs of the clients. And these are the people that we serve. Um, we also did not acknowledge the needs of employees. What tools and resources do employees need to serve their patients? Um, I can tell you being cursed out in Arabic is not fun, <laughs> right? And so we, there was a, a high turnover rate because of that. But mm. once we started, you know, looking at what's important to our clients, what do our employees need to serve at a higher level, we were able to save the organization uh, over $9.3 in turnover costs. Uh, mm, nice. A year after we started implementing the processes, we had zero turnover because people started to enjoy coming to work. They had the support and the tools and resources to do their job effectively. Yeah. And we were able to reduce gestational diabetes within the community by 33%. And that's because we educated patients on the importance of keeping their prenatal appointments to get their blood sugar checks, right? And so once they understood, once they had the information um, presented in a way that they could read it and understand it, it made a significant difference. Hmm. And so you can take that approach, like our company has a proprietary framework, you can take that approach and apply it within the energy industry. And that way, whatever your uh, outcomes, your goals are, you can set metrics. So that way you can meet those goals. Right? No, that's, that's fascinating. And um, real quick, going back, do you remember what it what it sounded like to get cussed out in Arabic? Because I would love to hear it. I've been cussed out in a lot of languages, but I, not I, Arabic. I don't I don't remember the words, but I remember the gestures and the body. You know, when someone's doing this, that's not a good sign. I, uh, I'm, I'm kidding, but I just had to ask. Um, but no, so cl clearly the the proof is in the pudding. And and if you and again, if for anyone who who likes reading into white papers or doing research, there there's a ton of research and. You know, even uh, like HBR does a great job. They've published a lot of different things over the years about this, you know, the the, the data that supports DEI and how that is so healthy for the business on so many different levels. Um, 
But so, and then kind of going back to the podcast, because I, I do want to talk about the DEI space within energy, but again, just touching a little bit more on the podcast itself. So you said you had all those folks, are those ones that you've already recorded or that you have in the queue to record? I have in the queue to record. So, so far we have recorded one episode with a guest and that was actually at OTC. I don't know if you remember. Oh, nice. I, I yeah. was going to try and make it. I didn't make it downtown. I, I met up with people, but I didn't actually go to OTC. Ah, okay. Yeah. So yeah, we did Baker Hughes. Um, yeah. The global human resource officer from Baker Hughes was our first guest and we recorded live um, oh, cool. at OTC. Yeah. What, wow. what I'm doing is the first maybe six or seven episodes uh, will be solo just to, oh. yeah, just to do some teaching education. And then after that, um, I'll start bringing on more guests, but I already cool. have a queue. Yeah. People. No, and because what I was going to ask, and, and then I'll sort of reframe the question, because I was going to ask you, based on the folks that you've interviewed, like, what are the biggest takeaways or lessons that you've learned? Being that it's been one, I'm sure there probably is one, but so then, okay, so then what can the listeners expect? Um, so you said you did five or six solo, and then you're moving into the educational or the interview piece. Can you kind of walk us through what listeners can expect going from episode one to five or whatever it is? Sure. So just um, the three, I recorded this the other day, the three most common mistakes in DE&I. Mm, um, yeah, inclusive leadership, um, DE&I and wellness. A lot of people uh, don't understand how the two intersect. Hmm. Uh, let's see. I am also doing one on employee resource groups, how you can develop allies just from employee resource groups. Um, another one is, um, energy justice. The department of energy is doing a lot of work around energy justice. And so there are a lot of opportunities that, um, any industry can take advantage of. There's grants. I don't know if you're aware, but president Biden is pumping out billions of dollars, right. In the energy space. Um, Mm -hmm. so I want to do something about that as well. So yeah, yeah. So just education and then bring on people to share their unique experiences. But you did mention something that I wanted to uh, tap into. Um, You mentioned any trends that I've noticed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I do uh, executive roundtables and I have identified um, one main trend that sticks out to me and it's um, with the different sectors. So oil and gas Oil and gas is fairly new to adopting DEI. There are some companies that are far more mature, like um, Baker Hughes and BP and uh, SLB. But yeah. for the most part, a lot of oil and gas companies are fairly um, new or in the infancy stage of implementing DEI. Right. Um, what I've noticed is utility companies, for whatever reason, utility seem to be more mature in their um, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. In fact, I have a guest that's coming on. He's going to talk about uh, his company's transgender policy. So if you are in the midst of a um, sex change, the company actually has policies in place to support you through your transition. So I think that's pretty cool. Wow. And, and, And I'll be honest, like that's that topic in itself can generate a lot of emotion. Um, and so I, I, I applaud you for tackling that or at least having someone on to talk about that. Uh, yeah, it's, 
it's a very third rail type conversation, but the reality is, is there's that, that is real. And there's folks that are joining the workforce that are in that position. And whether you believe in it, you don't, you're upset at Bud Light, maybe you're not <laughs> like this is, it just is created such a storm of just a flurry of things. And again, it's like, I'm, I'm not going to sit on either side of the fence with it, but I think the conversations need to be had because they're happening. And again, not to dive too deep into that, but it's an interesting conversation. Like I've never listened to a podcast where that's been a topic. And so to learn and to see whatever subject company is doing with that, there may be something to take away from that to explain to our company one day. I mean, you just, you, you never know. And so, um, and yeah. that's the thing. You have to meet people where they are. There might be some organizations that say, whoa, well, hold on. We're not ready for that. Right? Yeah. But, you know, five, 10 years down the line, you know, as the workforce starts to change and, you know, people uh, become more comfortable with the topic, you know, then they may be ready to listen. But m- my motto is meet people where they are. And I think that's why Dee and I can be a turnoff for some people because it feels like it's being forced on them. Right. So to kind of add to that, um, how's the momentum in, in the DEI space, specifically in the oil and gas, or we can keep it high level and just say energy, because again, through observation on, you know, and, and when I look at the sort of the resources that, that I gather information from, whether it be LinkedIn, um, different publications, be it hard energy, um, Bloomberg, you know, a lot of these, these educational and, and, and you know, news type uh, publications, there was, a, I, I felt like there was a major push and there was a huge level of, of sort of marketing towards it. Has that died down or is it, or is there still a lot of momentum and efforts and resources being allocated to create DNI programs? <laughs> Great question. There was a lot of momentum in 2020 because of, you know, unfortunately, the George Floyd murder. Uh, Now, it's tricky. Funds um, are being cut. DEI practitioners are being laid off. Um, So, you know, it's, it's challenging. It's challenging. You will always have, I will say this, you will always have companies that are committed despite what's happening um, economically, because that is their mission. That is their passion. But, and that's where you can tell organizations who are not committed to DE&I is when they start to cut funds or lay off people that are in DE&I positions. Mm. And so what you have to do is just, you know, block the noise and focus on the people who are committed to it. Yeah, no, it's a great answer. And and, and it's a sad truth that like, it takes real drastic situations to occur for a lot of people to all of a sudden jump in, put forth the effort to say, Hey, look, like we're, we're going to support and we're going to help. But then the minute it like, or as time goes on, the level of interest and effort kind of gets, it kind of subsides. Then you questions like, were you in it for the right intent or were you doing it because it was good PR? Like, and, and again, but like, it's, it's tough too, is when you look at a business, the reason people are in business is to create value for shareholders. And if shareholders want to generate a profit, you do then have to look at certain positions and say, is this, does this meet, you know, does this support critical path? And, you know, maybe, maybe not. And arguably in the long run, of course, having a strong DNI 
presence and, and system and, and program in place will, but in the short run, like, is it necessary? Well, maybe, maybe not. Again, it really depends on the company a lot of times and the leaders at the top. And are they willing to, to sacrifice profit to keep that momentum going? I think it varies widely. Um, what's, I mean, like kind of what, what's your, if, if someone were to come to you and say, Hey, can we, you know, we, we spend a lot of time and effort and resources creating one, but times are tough or profits are drinking. Yeah. yeah. Like what, what's your response to that? Do you continue to then try and push it? Or do you say, Oh, come back when things are good? Like, how do you oh, type of handle that? Absolutely. I push it even more because nine times out of 10, it's your strategy. You aren't getting the results that you want and you aren't getting your ROI because the way it was implemented. Um, mm. And I, I won't get into DEI strategy uh, on this episode, Sure. But there's a certain way you have to do with any project, right? You can't put the cart before the horse. If you implement it the incorrect way, you will not see the results that you intended on. And then what happens when you don't get your investment back? People lose faith and confidence in something, and then they start to believe it doesn't work. And so that's why when it comes down to, you know, budget cuts or restructuring, um, DNI professionals are the first ones to go because, that individual, unfortunately, has not demonstrated the value that it can bring to an organization. Mm, mm, that's that's fascinating. What are, are there, aside from the utility trend, are you noticing, like, because when we spoke last, there was still a lot of remote work uh, stuff being had. I mean, do you, for people who are trying to bring people back, because I think that's also does play into DE&I, right? Like, if it's not necessarily uh like a gender it, not even issue but it's not so much about gender or you know how they look whether piercings no piercings you know what i mean like a lot of it is well you're going to exclude me because i want to work from home because i was able to set up my life during covid i have kids like has that now like are you seeing that be a focal point and something that you're tackling for people who want to work from home but their company policies now you have to come back to the office like can you speak any on that Yes. Yeah, so I don't know if you pay attention to the federal space, but President Biden, yeah, issued, I don't know, I don't think it's an executive order, but it was uh, requested that all federal employees return back to the office. Okay. And that poses challenges because you have to factor in childcare. If you have an elderly parent that lives with you, who's going to care for them, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we try to do, we try to get companies to look at the data. Can this employee do their job effectively at home? Or is there a portion of their role that requires them to be in the office? So we look at the rationale and the reasoning behind bringing uh, people back. Um, Another uh, thing we review is transition policies or, or tr transition programs. So helping employees transition back to the workplace. So let's help them find childcare if that's an issue. Let's help them find a home nursing attendant that can come and support their parents. Mm. Um, what are people comfortable with? I know I was working with one company and we created bands, right? Because there are still people that are afraid to be around crowds. So it's a oh, red wow. band, uh, yeah, a red band, don't touch me, I don't want to shake your hand, don't hug me, yellow means, you know, six feet, and then green means, means that, you know, I'm okay with, you know, shaking hands and touching you. 
So wow. you have to, yeah, you have to accommodate people because we've been remote hmm. for almost three years now. In fact, it has been three years. And that's a huge transition that could be quite traumatic for some people. So you want to support employees. If they do have to come back to the office, you want to support them. Otherwise, they might leave and find a remote position, which we see happen occasionally as well. Yeah, no, that the band thing's interesting. And and, and (laughs) I I can just hear it in my head, people debating that because <laughs> it's because then it's like you're putting people in buckets which is not inclusive you know what I mean I, again I could just I you hear well, it this all is, this is self-selection <laughs> so you're not forced to pick a band but I got, okay you, I got you yeah yeah but let's say you know what I'm just I'm not comfortable being in a room full of people okay. you know I want I want to let people know that this is uncomfortable for me just please respect my boundaries right no, <laughs> yeah, and, and that makes sense for a band. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'll take, I'll like three on one and two on the other and just confuse everybody. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but uh, uh, well, there was, oh, another one too. So, and I'm, I'm sure we probably touched on this last time because COVID was even more relevant and not that to say it's not relevant today, but data would suggest that not as many people are getting infected and whatever, but uh there are still people who are, I would imagine there's a, there's a, there's a group of people who are still concerned and who are maybe more at risk. Um, and this might be more of an HR question, but <laughs> if companies are saying, Hey, you know, we'd like for people to come back to work and, 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 and Johnny's like, well, you know, I, I really am. I feel like I'm at risk. Obviously they would have to consult with their HR department to get that figured out. But I mean, from an inclusivity standpoint, like do you have any thoughts around or how companies could approach it? Not necessarily from an HR perspective, but to like make sure that person still feels included so, or they're still included within the organization, even though they may feel at risk. And again, not an HR sort of lens, but more mm. a DE&I lens. Yeah, I, I would probably recommend to find out where the, um, where, what the threat is, what they perceive the threat to be. So are you afraid of coming back to the office because of exposure? Mm. Is it that you don't like being around people? Is yeah. it impacting your mental health? Because remember now, there is a thing called reasonable accommodation, right? right. So if you, if this is impacting your mental well-being, like you have a diagnosis of anxiety about coming back to the office, now that's a reasonable accommodation please comes into play. You can get a doctor's notes uh, from your doctor, but you have to have a diagnosis of um, anxiety or some type of mental health um, issue because of this. Mm. Once you get that doctor's order, you submit it to HR, then they can grant you reasonable accommodation. And then that wow. way you continue to work remote. But there's a process behind that listeners um don't take this as gospel follow up with hr right, i don't right. want everyone saying well kim told me to do this no you have kim to said follow. i get to stay at home i'm right. staying at home <laughs> no 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 I, that's not what i'm saying it is a process <laughs> but i do know of people that genuinely had anxiety about the thought of going back to the uh workplace for example people yeah. that live in new york city that was the epicenter at the beginning of the pandemic So just the thought of riding on the subway, people coughing and sneezing and Mm. 
you know, it, it, <laughs> I'm getting anxious just thinking about it. <laughs> but yeah, you have to assess your situation. And if you believe you may qualify for that, then yeah, have a conversation with HR to see what they uh, might require. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's what I said. It's probably more of an HR question. But again, I it also just ties together. I'm curious, you mentioned earlier about the, the executive roundtables, I believe you called it. Yes. Um, can you elaborate a little bit more on, on like how people get involved or and, and, and how, what that kind of looks like and, and, and sort of some of the takeaways that you've ta- uh, gotten from, from some of these? Executive roundtables are a great conversation starter. So the way it works is very small and intimate. I only invite maybe four to five executives uh, from any industry, oil and gas, utilities, electric vehicle, whatever, right? And we come together and the framework is we go through a DE&I maturity model. And what this model does is it helps organizations identify where they are in their DE&I journey and then the next steps that they need to take to get to the next level. But what makes it so unique is that everyone goes around and around Robin fashion and, you know, they share where they are and they actually share some of the barriers that are holding them back from reaching the next level. And so Hmm. we're able to gain insight from different leaders and leaders can share, you know, what's working for them or what didn't work. So everyone walks away with value. Mm, That's so cool. has there been any conversations that were a uncomfortable or b you're like wow I never like I've been in this industry for x amount of years and I never thought this was a thing like does anything kind of surprise <laughs> was anything surprising to you hearing these executives discuss their challenges um, or solutions honestly just that I think I've seen it all I mean I, I'm <laughs> sure there are situations I have not encountered but up until yeah. now no nothing has been shocking I got you. No, hey, it's, it's the answer is the answer. I was just curious. Um, and again, I, I think you've probably had some very interesting conversations over the years. And so I was curious on that. But uh, no, again, I Kim, it's uh, it's so cool to be able to catch up with you. Um, I think, you know, again, the next time we catch up, we'll likely be on a podcast again, which is sad to say it, <laughs> but it creates a great opportunity to catch up, hear what you're doing. Uh, lastly, um, on Tell everyone about your your company, um, what you know, what it is, and and how you sort of the sort of the mechanics behind, if like who's your avatar or who's someone ideal that if they're listening, say like, you know what that's me. I really should reach out to Kim, and we we should chat business. Like, what does that look like? Sure. So, if you are an energy leader, that could be a chief diversity, equity, and inclusion officer or a chief human resource officer. Uh, chief well-being I don't know if that exists in this industry but that is a title I've seen uh, sure. reach out to me if you are thinking about starting your DEI journey or you currently have a strategy in place but you aren't sure if the methodology is going to get you the outcomes you're seeking please reach out to me and you can connect with me on LinkedIn I'm very active and um, yeah yeah I would love to chat with you no, that's perfect. And for those, I mean, you mentioned chief this and chief that. What if a company's not that big? Because our company, they we got a CEO and a CFO and a, and a COO. You know what I mean? Um, but like, what a, like an HR manager obviously would be someone else. Like, if you were to on a smaller scale, say a company doesn't have different levels of executives, 
uh, would HR manager or someone that's in HR ultimately could reach out to or really anybody, but yes, yes, okay. yes. Any, uh, anyone you can reach, can reach out to me and you can route me to the proper person to speak to. So, yes. <laughs> of course. Perfect. And what I'll do is I'll put, um, your website link and, and all your links in the show notes also to the podcast. Cause once this releases, you'll have had episodes out there for people to tune in and check it out. Um, lastly, and I don't remember what personal question I asked on the last one. Um, I think, I think I asked you maybe what your ideal Friday night was. Does that <laughs> ring a bell? Does, if not, okay, well, let me do this. I'm going to ask something different. Um, what's something about yourself that not many people know about? I mean, you grind all day, you're working hard, but you said you like to do some self-care. So does, what does your Kim's self-care routine look like? Sleep. And keep it, doesn't have to be explicit. <laughs> keep it, you know, PC here. Come on. I, I know. I, I'll keep it rated G. No. <laughs> Sleep. Sleep. Okay. Okay. Many That's people huge. don't know I am an introvert, right? So introverts get burned out very, very fast. And so okay. I have to sleep in order to, you know, rejuvenate and just clear my head and my thoughts. So that mm -hmm. way I have the energy to continue on the next day. So yeah, two things. I'm an introvert and okay. I love to sleep. <laughs> okay. So when you say sleep, sleep's a fascinating conversation. I, I track my sleep and I'm like a data nerd oh. when it comes to, to biometrics. And like for me, even so there the quality of sleep matters. There's a difference yeah. between getting six hours of quality sleep versus nine hours of crappy sleep because you watch TV right before bed, you ate a bunch of potato chips, and you just can't calm down. Next thing you know, you're lying in bed with your eyes open for X amount of time. But how how do you prepare for a good night's sleep? Because I think that's something that not many people talk about. Because they always talk about morning routine, but what does your before bed routine look like? So probably two two to three hours before bedtime, no caffeine. So I don't drink coffee um, or sodas. I try to avoid sugar as well, because what I've noticed is that it spikes my insulin. Mm. And in the middle of the night, my blood sugar drops and I wake up sweating. Oh. So that interferes with my sleep. Yeah. So caffeine, sugar, any uh, refined carbohydrates, I try to avoid. And then Ooh. I take melatonin interesting melatonin and i try to keep my room cool like around 70 degrees yeah yeah so why do you take melatonin i have no problems falling asleep it's staying but for, asleep. yes yes and i find that melatonin helps me stay asleep during the night. okay no it's yeah. interesting and again like aside from oil and gas and energy and, and that, which is like most of my life, like my passion is health fitness oh, really? and more from like a human performance perspective, not okay. like bodybuilding stuff, but <laughs> um, I've, I've read and done research on a lot of this stuff. And so if you're at, you're like, why are you asking me these questions? Cause I'm generally like passionate about it. Um, how much melatonin do you take before bed? Do you know? Oh, I take a lot. I take 20 milligrams, 20 milligrams. Kim, <laughs> what? You could have a hurricane come over your house and you probably don't even notice. Oh my goodness. Like, no wonder you don't wake up. <laughs> You're like what? overdosing on melatonin. Yeah, I take 20 milligrams. Yeah. But you know what? Hey, it, it's very individualized. I know people who take half a milligram and it's enough. I Really? Yeah, I can take half a milligram in it. So when I was in school, in grad school, I would 
do schoolwork up until like 10 30 or 11 and because of just like how my mind was racing and, and just again there's a level of stress when you're reading and your complex problems and your you know critical thinking stuff it was hard for me to calm down and so um i would use cbd and melatonin to like calm my nerves i would try and read a little bit that had nothing to do with school um and yeah, I found that if I took half to a milligram of melatonin, it was enough to get me to calm down in addition to the CBD. Um, so anyway, but it's all people, you know, some people like a half a milligram to some would be nothing. Wow. Right. Um, so anyway, but I, I was just curious. And then do you, so you were talking about your insulin levels dropping or your blood sugar dropping to which then you wake up. Do you track, do you like, do you track your glucose real time or how do you know I that? do. So oh, remember cool. I was on my weight loss journey to lose 15 pounds. So what I yeah. did was I went and had my uh, A1C check. Do you know what that yep. is? I've had that check too. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So not pre-diabetic because I was curious. I thought yeah. maybe it, I was pre-diabetic or something, but no, I'm not pre-diabetic. Yeah. Um, I just contributed to eating sugar late at night. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it's, there's no, I mean, regardless, if you eat a bunch of refined carbohydrates or anything that's going to spike your blood sugar, which if you're an anomaly person out there, sometimes people can eat something that doesn't spike their blood sugar for the most part, sugar and any like carbohydrate, whether it be potato chips or snacks or anything that's boxed for the most part, uh, unless you're being like boxed banana, but even then that would spike your blood sugar. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, that would typically have, it would spike, it would drop. And then that would typically wreck your circadian rhythm which is helps you sleep but anyway we're totally going off on a tangent so <laughs> kim's routine is uh drowned herself in melatonin and good night <laughs> which is cool hey if it works it works do you, do you track your sleep do you track your sleep no i probably should I, okay. I used to have an app that actually could tell when i would turn over or you know oh yeah rotate yeah but i don't okay. track it now uh okay no worries if you do check out whoop or the aura ring that um uh, they're, okay. they're good for tracking sleep but this is definitely not a sleep podcast folks you've probably <laughs> cut this off you haven't by now you're interested in this stuff too no just like Kim and I. Anyway. <laughs> I know i know so uh but anyway in the interest of time and if anyone is still listening please connect with kim um scroll down i've got the links in the show notes if you could take a minute to re uh review it share the podcast with at least one person if, if if all you do today is share this episode with one person hopefully someone who could then reach out to kim and they can connect maybe chop it up about business that would be so much appreciated um kim any closing last words any thoughts any message you'd like to relay to the podcast world uh, no, just thank you again for having me. It's been a pleasure. And, you know, if we are going to do this energy integration transition, whatever that looks like, you know, we just work together. There's an old African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So Ooh, I just, I've, yeah. <laughs> okay. I've seen that, but I didn't know it was an African proverb. That's so cool. Yes, yeah. I love that. It's so true. I love that. Cool. Well, with that being said, everyone, thanks again for listening. And always remember that everyone deserves access to energy and we is greater than me. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to another episode of Wicked Energy with JG. 
And look, if you or your organization wants to start a podcast, please visit my website and sign up for a free guide on how to start a successful podcast. Once you get through it, let me know if you have any questions or getting started. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Peace.